We're uh, continuing our series uh, throughout the fall called Healthy Habits, and we've been chipping through uh, eight spiritual practices that if, um, if we kind of enter a, a season of training can actually become healthy habits for us, healthy spiritual practices, predictable patterns for spiritual growth, all for the purpose of setting ourselves before Jesus so that God can do his work in us. You know, we, we know that we can't fix ourselves. At least I know I can't fix myself. I imagine you're in the same boat. So, but we, we can do something. Uh, we can present ourselves to the Lord who has promised to continue and advance his work in us uh, and so get ourselves out of the way, in a way, and let Jesus do his thing. So last week we thought about the habit of fasting, uh, abstaining from something for spiritual purposes. Largely in the Bible that means abstaining from food, but it can be abstaining from other things as well. And today we look at the habit of worshiping. And to consider that, we're going to look at a couple scriptures, uh, a chunk from Luke uh, chapter 7, starting at verse uh, 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender, one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And then one verse from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter one, verse 10. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Worshiping, the healthy habit of, of worship. But I think we have to start with a really basic question. What is it? What, what is worship? Uh, really, think about that for a second. Is worship just what happens 
here at church on Sunday morning in the gathered service. We use the language that way sometimes. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm going to worship. Uh, is worship an event? Is worship an experience? I mean, what, what is this thing we call worship? Well, the actual word worship in English is a compressed form of the old English word worth-ship. Interesting, isn't it? In that sense, worship means to give something worth, behaving in a way that demonstrates you value something. Behaving in a way that demonstrates you value something. And by that definition, we all worship because we all behave in ways that demonstrate we value something. So we all worship something. Now for us as Christians, Worship means behaving in a way that demonstrates we value God and, and all that God has done for us in Jesus and all the gifts that we've begun, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, living within us, that we, that we value the Lord. So Christian worship is an activity where we demonstrate that we value Jesus. A super simple definition, right? And that leads to the next understanding of worship. Demonstrating value costs us something. To value something, we have to put a price on it. That's why worship is so often associated with sacrifice. And if you're more familiar with the Bible, just bring to your mind some of those, those images of sacrifice. Think of Abraham and Isaac. God never wanted Abraham to actually kill his son Isaac. It was a value test, right? What level of value do you ascribe to me, Abraham? Abraham. Ask him to sacrifice something of inestimable value. Worship is sacrifice. Uh, King David he was uh, um, uh, you know, directed by the Lord to, to build an altar, to, to offer some sacrifices. And he was directed to do it in a very particular place uh, on someone else's property. So King David approached that person, the owner, and offered and said, hey, God told me to do this. And the owner said, hey, I'll give you the land for free. Uh, to which David responded with this. But the king replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Right? Worship involves sacrifice. I think of what Hebrews says. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. And do not forget to do good and share with others for such sacrifices... For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Sacrifice, worship is sacrifice. And, and Romans, of course. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. So, Christian worship is an activity where we demonstrate that we value Jesus and which involves a giving of ourselves to God. Again, very simple definition, I know. But that, that gets to the point, the next point, about uh, the place worship is to hold in our lives. Uh, when asked which commandment was most important, Jesus responded with this. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Translated, Worship is the first commandment. Worship 
is the most important thing. I mean, this is clear throughout the Bible. Think, think of the Ten Commandments you know, uh, in, in Exodus 20 there. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Worship. Commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Right? Jesus' summary of the law and the first two commandments point toward the priority of worship, that worship should be number one in our life. And it also points to the importance of properly directed worship. Uh, I know we're not Presbyterians, but the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question and answer number one, question, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The reason we were made, the purpose for which we were made, was to glorify God, to to live in relationship with the Lord, to worship God the Lord, to, to bless the Lord, to enjoy the Lord. You know, worship is first. You know, there's, there's a ton of talk in the modern church these days about becoming a missional church. And church family, I hope you know me well enough to know that my heart beats for that, right? I mean, I'm, yes, <laughs> the world needs to know that there is a, a savior, the world's only savior, Jesus, and that we can come to him and have a whole new life. That's massively important. But in in that conversation, some important theological lines often get crossed. You might have heard it said that the church exists for mission. As important as the mission is, that statement is inaccurate and false. The church does not exist for mission. The church exists for worship. As, As one Christian author notes, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because Worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not human beings. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity. But worship abides forever. We were made by God and for God. And therefore, any response to God other than our worship, our complete devotion, our adoration, our thanks, an orienting of our whole life around what Jesus has done for us on the cross, any response other than that will veer from who we are and what we were made to do and will create friction in our life. Right? We'll feel the tension, the friction. See, the first and second commandments warn us of the temptation that we all face in this life to put something other than God in the place of God. In Bible language, that's idolatry, right? Idolatry isn't just having a little wooden figure on your mantle. Idolatry is putting something, anything else in the place of God in your life, valuing someone or something more than God. And in that end, that kind of worship is misdirected because it's ascribing ultimate value to temporary things. And you can say that, and it, it sounds so clearly logical, and yet we are so prone to go against that. 
right? We worship the triune God. That God is a person, not a thing. God is not a religious idea. The Lord is a person. And worship is for God, not for us. Worship is primarily about giving to God, not about receiving from God. And, and this is an amazing thing if you think about it. R- really think about this. The Lord has given us the ability to give to him something he desires. Have you grappled with that and kind of really gotten your mind around that? It's stunning, really. We have the ability to bless God, to minister to God. I, I had a friend of this church ask me one time, I think in, in one, one of my prayers one time, I said something like, Lord, we bless you. We, we bless you, Lord. Or, and this person was asking, well, like, what's up with that? Can, you, can we bless God? Really? Yeah. Really, one of the Greek words that is, we, we translate into English as worship actually means literally to minister to God, to bless God. Worship is blessing God. So if we come to either a corporate worship service or engage in kind of a personal time of worship with the primary goal of receiving over giving, we've gone wrong from the very start. It's, we're off the rails already, right? We're missing the point, not just kind of, but entirely. We worship God because God is worthy, literally worth it, right? Worship is for God, not for us. And, and at the beginning, Jana was talking about liturgy. The, the word liturgy actually means the work of the people. In worship, we all take up the work of blessing God together, in the corporate service. We're all teammates in this thing on Sunday mornings. We're not just experiencing a thing that people on the platform are doing. We're gathering together to join our hearts and minds and voices to tell Jesus how much we love him and how great we think he is. Super simple, I know. But that's it, right? This is the work of the people in worship. And in that sense, corporate worship is, is super important, like worshiping with other believers. Hebrews points this out. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Evidently, some in the church back in that day had given up on the habit, the regularity of coming together in a corporate body for worship. And the author of Hebrews is kind of calling them out, Right? Uh, so so, so uh, uh, gently, with way more invitation than challenge, let me call you out too, uh, especially if you're watching online. If, if, in, if in the season of COVID, it has become simply more comfortable and more convenient uh, to engage in worship in some virtual way, uh, we, we've, we're losing something. We're really, really losing something. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a pastor and it's nice to have the church full, right? Uh, I'm saying this because that's true. That's true. Uh, Christians need to gather together in person to worship the Lord because the Lord does something unique there. Doesn't mean we can't worship virtually. We can. We're just not experiencing everything the Lord has for us in that. There's an old horse of a story. It's probably fictional. I don't even know if it's true. But it was the old story of a pastor who goes to call on a member who hadn't been around the church for a while. And 
the guy was feeling kind of guilty. It was a cold day. There was a fire, and they, they chatted, and he said, you probably want to talk about why I haven't been in church. And the pastor said, well, yeah, maybe. The pastor reached over, got the tongs, and grabbed a coal from the fire and put it on the hearth and didn't really say anything. Just watched the coal slowly go from glowing orange, faded, 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 until it was kind of gray and dark. He just grabbed the tongs again, put the coal back in the fire, and in several seconds, it was orange, orange and burning again. Right? Enough said. I, there, it, it, it's a cutesy story, but there's a spiritual reality there. There really is, of which we need to be aware. Um, but because I'm speaking to the people who are gathered in a, in a worship service together, however we're gathered, in person or, or online, I'm more concerned about us missing the opportunity for personal worship, you know, for worship beyond this time and this space and this gathering. Uh, Because this is, what we do corporately is just one element of worship. We we, we read that story, uh, I I have an NIV uh, Bible that I typically preach from that that we use here, and in my NIV, the heading for the section we read, which is not language from the Bible, we added that later, right? But the heading of the section is Jesus anointed by a sinful woman. Which I guess that the, the text did say that, but, uh, but that sinful woman has also been described as the perfect worshiper. Think about that. I'm, I'm really thankful to author Zach Neese for his thinking and description of this. With total disregard for the opinions of men, she approached Jesus. Why she did so, we are not told, but Jesus must have done something wonderful for her because her heart was overwhelmed with gratitude. Out of that grateful heart flowed one of the sweetest expressions of love in the entire Bible. This woman, seeing Jesus' filthy feet, bowed down at his feet and began to weep. Perhaps her heart broke that he warranted so little honor in the Pharisees' eyes that they would not even have a servant wash his feet, as was customary. She wept over the dishonored feet of Jesus. Then she did something astounding. She loosed her hair and used it as a dust rag to wash his feet. 1 Corinthians 11.15 describes a cultural understanding of the day that a woman's hair was her glory. This woman used her glory as a rag to serve Jesus. As the woman wiped Jesus' feet, she kissed them repeatedly cherishing the feet of her Savior where others had dishonored him. Then she took an expensive oil, unstopped the bottle, and poured it on those dirty, mud-streaked feet. What an extravagance. What humility. What a demonstration of love. What a demonstration of value. What worthship she gave to Jesus that day. Is it any wonder that Jesus felt loved? If only we could worship so well. Bowing to the Lord, heart ablaze with gratitude, pouring our emotions out to him, expressing our love to him, using our glory to serve him, and extravagantly giving value to him. Wow. We, you and I, can take that posture toward Jesus in our worship. Not just in corporate worship now, but in our personal times of worship too. You know, I came to faith later in life, as most of you know, and and I remember when uh, God really taught this to me. And I really do feel like the Lord kind of delivered this to me by reading a scripture. I, I was reading along in Genesis and came across this text. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel, who was Jacob, 
worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And I had this little God moment where I thought worship, but wait, worship is Sunday. Worship, but this was an everyday moment. He was just leaning on his staff and he worshipped in this everyday moment of life. And it just, it, it just kind of drove it home. That as a follower of Jesus, I am fully empowered to worship Jesus anytime I want. Wherever I am. Whatever my circumstances. Uh, and really, why wouldn't I? When I call to mind all that he has done for me, Thus why we need to develop the habit of worshiping beyond a Sunday service or, or a corporate gathering, whatever day of the week that might be. So, the habit of worshiping. Your challenge if you choose to accept it is to try that this week. If Christian worship is an activity where we demonstrate that we value Jesus and which involves a giving of ourselves to God, it means worship needs to be demonstrative in the sense that we're demonstrating we value Jesus with, with our behavior and our activity. And worship needs to involve giving of ourselves to Jesus. So the mission, worship every day for seven days in a row. Figure out a way to demonstrate your love for Jesus in personal times of worship. Maybe, maybe you're there thinking like, this is super easy, I do this every day. I would imagine most of us are thinking, I don't, I, I, I don't know if I stop and intentionally, behaviorally demonstrate how much I value Jesus every day as a sacrifice to him, from me to him. So if you don't already have a way of doing this, this is super simple. If you don't like it, do something else, but this is what I would suggest. Find a worship song that helps you engage in worship. Um, maybe you're more Martin Luther, or maybe you're more Phil Wickham. Doesn't matter. Find a song, a hymn, something that kind of quickens your heart and, and drives you to worship God, right? Play that song and you just listen to the words closely. Then play the song again and somehow, in some way, engage your body. Don't just listen to it. We, we're from a tradition where we get headaches because we think so hard, right? Engage your body in some way. Maybe for you that just means kneeling as you listen to the song. Maybe you just want to lay flat out, prostrate before the Lord on the floor. Do this on your own private place, right? Um, maybe that means lifting hands, lifting a hand uh, as, as, you, as you worship. Or if, if you're less mobile, maybe it simply means sitting with your palms up on your lap to kind of receive... Um, I still remember a time when I was a, a new Christian, um, the pastor of the church I was attending did a little teaching about worshiping with your hands. Have you ever heard this? You know, there's th the different postures mean different things. You know, if you, if you choose to kind of go like this, kind of hands out, hands up, this is just uh, expresses openness and, and uh, a willingness to submit to the Lord and, and receive whatever God might have for us. And if you raise a hand up kind of like this, this, at least this, this is what it is for me, right? This expresses uh, praise and worth and thanks uh, to, to the Lord. And then this 
for me, it's more like total relinquishment, right? This, this is this posture of, uh, I don't care what anybody thinks, Jesus, you're the only one, and I worship you, I give you everything. Um, so th- there's, there's power in engaging your body in worship. The Bible is full of all sorts of examples. People engaging their body in worship, not just, not just their head. So worshiping is not something limited to corporate services, very powerful, healthy habit we can practice to set ourselves before the Lord. And you know, as Christians, we know that there is no secret sauce to our faith. There are no magic words. There's no magic incantation. But let me tell you, the healthy habit of worshiping is as close to the secret sauce as it gets. This is transformational. If, if you, in your personal times, choose to worship Jesus, it, it redirects your whole being. It recalibrates everything because your entire focus is, is on the Lord. Right? And, and God, God does stuff. We, wor- we worship because God is worthy. We don't worship primarily because we want to get something. But I certainly have found whenever we engage, whenever I engage in some kind of authentic worship there, it seems like the Lord always finds some way of saying, hey, thanks, I love you too. It's just always there. So may the Lord bless you as you enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? God, thank you so much that you have uh, given us the ability to bless you. It's mind-boggling. We know ourselves and we know our propensity toward darkness and we, we know how small we are and how insufficient we are and, and, and yet we believe that you have created us in your image. We believe that we actually are eternal creatures, not just temporary. And we believe that you have given us the ability to bless you in our worship. And God, we want to bless you. Jesus, we want to say thanks to you. We want to express to you how much we value what you've done for us. We, we would be utterly lost but for you. With no place to stand. No foundation upon which to stand. God, you are everything. So thank you that we can express that to you. You are worthy, Lord Jesus. And we do worship you. And we pray in your name. Amen.